you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Just two months ago, in March 2021, a TikTok video of a woman finding a secret room behind her bathroom mirror went viral. In the four-part series posted to her TikTok channel, New Yorker Samantha Hartsoe is shocked when she feels a cool draft coming from behind her medicine cabinet. She decides to take the mirror down to investigate the breeze, and finds a gaping hole leading into a mysteriously empty room. In the creepy clips, Hartso puts on a face mask and headlamp to explore the dilapidated space. She discovers what seems to be a deserted adjacent apartment. In the video's comments, many point out the similarities to the 1992 horror film Candyman, which features a murderous spirit with a hook for a hand bursting through the heroine's medicine cabinet. The idea that an apartment can be breached through its bathroom mirror isn't just fiction, though. In 1987, in Chicago, a 52-year-old woman named Ruthie Mae McCoy was fatally shot by at least one person who snuck into her unit through her medicine cabinet. The Grace Abbott housing projects where McCoy lived were built with holes in the walls for the medicine cabinets, which provided the only flimsy barrier between neighboring apartments. While Candyman was mostly based off of the short story The Forbidden, the filmmakers also drew inspiration from They Came In Through the Bathroom Mirror, a detailed journalistic account of the murder and the horror of the housing projects. How much of Candyman was based off this real-life murder? More importantly, were McCoy's killers ever caught and brought to justice? Stay with us as we explore the true story of Chicago's murderous medicine cabinets. I'm Jaden McKell, and you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas. Written and directed by Bernard Rose, Candyman is a 1992 American film that's widely considered a modern horror classic. Here's just a brief summary of the plot. Helen Lyle, a graduate student in Chicago researching urban legends, learns of the Candyman, a spirit who can be summoned by a person who repeats his name five times to a mirror. This ritual will result in the Candyman killing the summoner by using a hook attached to the bloody stump of his right arm. Helen learns from two cleaning ladies that Ruthie Jean, a resident in the notorious Cabrini Green housing project, is rumored to have been killed by the Candyman, 
and discovers there have been 25 similar murders. Skeptical, Helen and her friend recite the Candyman's name five times in front of Helen's bathroom mirror, but nothing happens. They then decide to visit the scene of Ruthie Jean's murder, where they discover a room filled with offerings left for the Candyman. Afterwards, they meet Ruthie Jean's neighbor and single mother, Anne Marie McCoy. That evening, Helen and her husband have dinner with a professor who is an expert in Candyman lore. According to legend, the Candyman was born the son of a slave in the late 1800s. He became a well-known artist, being sought after to paint portraits of wealthy white landowners and their families. After he fell in love with and fathered a child with the daughter of one of these landowners, the landowner hired and sent a lynch mob after him. The mob cut off his right hand and smeared him with honey, attracting bees that stung him to death. However, he survived long enough to have his immortal soul transferred into a mirror. Future generations of the neighborhood would call him the Candyman. His corpse was then burned on a pyre and his ashes scattered across the land on which Cabrini Green was built. As an aside, a reboot of the supernatural slasher film produced by Jordan Peele, is scheduled to premiere in theaters this August. In 1985, British horror author Clive Barker published his fifth volume of horror short stories, known as The Books of Blood, and brought to the world the story known as The Forbidden, the basis for the 1992 Candyman film. The Forbidden centers around a familiar character, grad student Helen Lyle, but this version of Lyle has her studying the graffiti of low-income neighborhoods and the art that's produced there, where she stumbles upon the urban legend of a hook-handed killer. Known to terrified residents as the Candyman, locals placate him by leaving out candy mixed with bloody razor blades. Where the Forbidden's version of the Candyman is a pale, thin-lipped, and red-eyed man, the film version of the Candyman, played by Tony Todd, chooses to make him the spirit of a black man killed by a white mob for impregnating a white woman. Ruthie Jean is one of the Candyman's victims, and her neighbor, a woman befriended by the protagonist, also bears a familiar name— Anne-Marie McCoy. To find even more similarities, let's go ahead and take a look at the events surrounding McCoy's murder. In Chicago, 1987, 52-year-old Ruthie Mae McCoy lived in the high-rise public housing buildings known as Grace Abbott Homes. She was known around the block as a paranoid old lady, suffering from some mental illness that had her in and out of psychiatric centers. 
In her final months, though, McCoy had reportedly made progress in coping with her mental illness. She was making regular visits to the Mount Sinai Hospital Community Psychiatric Center. It was there that she took GED classes, while also participating in craft projects and group therapy. Neighbors in Grace Abbott Homes noticed a different, less ornery Miss May. When she was approved for supplemental security income, federal aid for the physically and mentally handicapped in February of 1987, it doubled her monthly income and made her dream of escaping the project a possibility. She told everyone she knew that the main difficulty left in her life was the project and the young people there who harassed and threatened her. She was on the verge of moving out of the project that spring when tragedy struck. On April 22, 1987, McCoy put in a frantic 911 call saying that someone was trying to break into her home. She said they were coming in through her bathroom cabinet. They want to come through the bathroom, McCoy reportedly said on the call, terrified. A confused dispatch sent a car, but for some reason didn't report McCoy's desperate call as a break-in. Shortly after that, two more concerned residents reported hearing gunshot noises and screaming coming from the same vicinity. The officers knocked on her door and got no answer. They asked a janitor for a key to the apartment, but the key didn't work. About 40 minutes after they arrived at her door, they left the project. The following evening, a concerned neighbor phoned police and asked them to check on McCoy. A half dozen cops and several CHA security guards gathered outside McCoy's door. This time, the police wanted to force their way in, but the security guards talked them out of it, warning them of the possible repercussions of a lawsuit. The next afternoon, the same neighbor called the project office and contacted a manager, who was then able to enter McCoy's apartment with a carpenter who drilled the lock on the door. But they were too late. McCoy was found dead, lying on her bedroom floor from four gunshot wounds, and her body was already beginning to decompose. One bullet had passed through her left shoulder, another passed through her left thigh, a third entered the right side of her abdomen, pierced the liver, and exited the left side of the abdomen. The fourth and fatal bullet passed through her right upper arm, then entered her chest and severed the pulmonary vein. The medical examiner listed the cause of death as internal bleeding. Her killer, or killers, climbed into her apartment through her bathroom wall, through the hole in the wall where the medicine cabinet is usually placed. He, or they, took down the medicine cabinet in the adjacent apartment, climbed through the pipe chase, and either kicked in McCoy's cabinet or just crawled out of the hole into her bathroom. Whether she had a medicine cabinet in place at the time is actually unknown. Two men, 
Edward Turner, age 18, and John Honduras, age 21, were charged with murder, home invasion, armed robbery, armed violence, and residential burglary. Witnesses claim that they saw the two men carrying McCoy's 19-inch color TV and rocking chair around the project in the early morning hours after her death. The two were suspected of creating a plan to break into her apartment, likely believing that McCoy was a senile old woman and therefore easy prey in their eyes. At the trial, Edward Turney's attorney would claim that Turner only helped to carry McCoy's television set to another apartment the night of the murder. But it was actually John Honduras and another man named Howard Govan who killed McCoy. Turner had told a woman in the project that he had shot someone, but Turner's lawyer argued he only did this to impress her. Due to lack of evidence, the two men were found not guilty after two years of the trial. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can turn into nightmares. Join me as I tell you haunting and horrific reveries about missing people and senseless murders. I also interview survivors and people seeking justice for themselves or a loved one. New episodes come out every Monday morning, and sometimes you'll get bonus episodes on Thursdays. Wherever you're listening to this current podcast right now, you can find Reverie True Crime. Crimatorium translates to a place where crime resides. The cases covered include, but are not limited to, Murder, scams, abuse, missing persons, cold cases, old cases, new cases, and lesser-known cases. Crimatorium covers all of it worldwide. My fascination with true crime goes back to when I was a young girl. Couple that fascination with my love of reading, writing, music, and storytelling the transition to podcasting was a foregone conclusion. New episodes are released bi-weekly, with bonus episodes in between from time to time. Take the next step and listen to Crimatorium, and then subscribe via your favorite platform. Join me in the place where crime resides. Sometime in 1986, the medicine cabinet break-ins began at Grace Abbott Homes and other housing projects around Chicago. The pair of apartments at the end of each floor in the high-rises had adjacent bathrooms, their medicine cabinets back-to-back, with only a pipe chase of about two and a half feet between them. 
So it wasn't as simple as the 1992 Candyman movie made it look. Take, for example, the scene where Helen slides her bathroom cabinet out of place and finds herself shoulder-deep in the neighboring apartment. Still, in reality, all you had to do was remove six screws from one medicine cabinet, pull the cabinet out of the wall, crawl through the pipe chase, kick in the other cabinet, and you'd be in the next apartment. People who lived at the end of a corridor with a vacant apartment next to them were especially vulnerable to break-ins. After the bathroom break-ins began, some residents of the Abbott high-rises started pulling couches in front of their bathroom doors or securing their bathroom doorknobs with rope before turning in for the night. This sounds like an absolute nightmare, and according to a Chicago Reader article, that's what life in the Chicago high-rise projects often was. The movie Candyman, inspired by the bathroom break-ins and the murder of Ruthie Mae McCoy, got mostly favorable reviews. It did well enough at the box office to spawn two sequels. Film critic Roger Ebert said of the movie, Urban legends tap our deepest fears, and one of the most subterranean involves the call for help that is laughed at or ignored. Ebert may not have realized that in the projects, it was hardly a deep fear that calls for help would be neglected. It was simply expected. As stated in the conclusion of a Chicago Reader article, urban legends may captivate us more than urban realities, but the grim realities of the projects were experienced by many people still living in Chicago today, and we show our respect by at least being aware of them. What do you think? Who murdered Ruthie Mae McCoy? I know we didn't discuss the trial in a lot of depth, and I'll post links to articles with a lot more information in the show notes and on our website. Have you seen Candyman? Were there any other similarities between the film and McCoy's tragic death that we didn't discuss? Find us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas or Twitter at Straight Enigmas and let us know. If you like the show, please remember to hop onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to give us a five-star rating. It really helps the podcast. This episode was created and produced by me, Jaden McKell. It was edited by Austin Blackwell. The theme song, Straight Up Enigmas, was created by Chuck Flyer. You can find links to all the articles we utilized in our research and narration in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode of Straight Up Enigmas. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.